You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation, and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. In addition to our regular weekly podcast, we also have the privilege of interviewing experts from around the world to further our understanding of how to live mindfully. Joshua Becker has been helping millions to find more by owning less for the last 15 years through his website and blog, Becoming Minimalist, which welcomes over 1.5 million readers each month. He is also the creator of Simplify Magazine and founder of The Hope Effect, a nonprofit organization changing how the world cares for orphans. Joshua is a contributing writer to Forbes and has appeared in dozens of media outlets, including The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CBS Evening News, Los Angeles Times, and The Drew Barrymore Show. A best-selling author, his latest book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distractions to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, is available now, and we sat down to discuss some of the principles he covers in the book. Before we get started, you can enter a drawing to win a free copy of Joshua's book. Follow us on our IG at A Mindful Moment Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and or subscribe to our mailing list on amindfulmoment.com. You'll be entered into the drawing once for each. Hi, Joshua. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. I really enjoyed the book. Oh, um, good. I- a lot of it resonated for me, I have to say. And I did also appreciate the anecdotes and kind of how you wove your own story into it and the survey results and the reflective questions, which of course, a lot of what I do is train. And so I always like when you have sort of that anchor to go back and question yourself about what you've just kind of consumed. So I thought that was all great. I do have to tell you, I took your question to heart that if um, if I were to die today, is there something that I would not be too happy about not having completed? And um, that struck me because it's true. For the couple of years, I've been having a challenge finishing a book. It keeps getting set to the mm-hmm. side and it's really due to distraction. So thank you for getting me back on track. I wanted to start out today. We're going to talk about 
the eight areas that you cover in the book. But first, I thought it was interesting because, and I confess to this, you state that, you know, we blame technology for most of our distractions, and that's true. But you talk about how we've had those distractions since the beginning of man. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, interesting. Even a little bit of my um, like strengths finders test that I took um, way back when one of my, I don't know, strengths or one of my themes in life is that I, I tend to look to the past to uh, define where we are uh, in the present. And so uh, honestly, like one of my, like one of the biggest questions that I always think about when someone brings up a new problem or a new issue, I'm like, is this really the first time that we've ever dealt with with this issue? And so thinking about technology and um, when I mention the title of the book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, most people think of technology. Okay, good. You're going to help me put my phone down or stop scrolling social media. And there's a chapter in the book certainly about that. But I think to myself, I assume people were having the same conversation when television first came out, like how much of a distraction has television become or when radio was first inter in, invented and like, oh man, now we're just sitting around listening to things on the radio rather than out uh, doing, you know, making a difference in the world. And so certainly not a, not a new distraction. I think that we've always struggled with distractions from the most important things in life, but it uh, feels, you know, like it's certainly more prevalent than, than ever before. But um, the book is certainly about a lot more than technology, as you know. Well, let's get into these eight areas that you cover. There's obviously other distractions, but you focus on eight that I thought were really important. Let's start with the first one. So mm. how does fear distract us? When I originally imagined the book, uh, Things That Matter, uh, the distractions that I wanted to cover were uh, the distraction of possessions, the distraction of money, the distraction of fame. Um, or accolades, I call it, the distraction of leisure. Like these were the external things that we can pursue with our lives, desire more of all the time, and then that we begin sacrificing living lives of meaning by pursuing those different distractions. So um, that was what I originally pictured the book. My first conversation with my editor uh, brought about the second chapter, which is regret, uh, past mistakes. But my first conversation with a friend of mine is what brought about the chapter on fear. Uh, we are driving in a car. We are actually going to Mexico. I started a nonprofit down there, and so um, he's the executive director. We were going down to work. And I said, hey, I want to write this book about how sometimes things keep us from pursuing lives of meaning or lives that we uh, end, end our lives with a bunch of regrets. And I said, what do you think is the biggest distraction that keeps people from pursuing a meaningful life? And without hesitation, he said, fear. And not just fear of getting started. In his context, he was talking about fear of losing what you have. And I'm like, you are totally right. Like This is a big issue that in my mind, I, I didn't even think about. So all that to say, the first two chapters, fear and uh, regret, came from conversations with with other people. But if we're afraid of losing what we have, if we're afraid of failing in that pursuit, if we're afraid of succeeding, sometimes even in that pursuit, then then it can keep us from 
living our, our, our most meaningful, most fulfilled lives if we don't uh, address that and overcome or at least understand how it might be affecting us. I appreciated that you included a list of five signs that fear might be the problem. And it's interesting from my perspective, because a lot of people may not recognize that that fear, they may recognize, oh, something makes them nervous, but they may not recognize that that thought process is continuously distracting them, right? And so I, I appreciated that you put something in there for people to really go through and say, oh, is this a problem for me? So that they can address it and then do something about it. Man, I learned a ton in studying this topic and could even go back and recognize some different ways that fear had been holding me back in, in life. I, I interviewed a friend of mine who says that uh, his story's in the book. He said that fear has kept him um, from succeeding in life in that he always was afraid of failing, um, kind of got that from his parents, he would say. But whenever he started succeeding in an organization and, and being promoted in an organization, that didn't squelch his fear of failing. Uh, he said it made it even worse. Uh, like the, the higher I got promoted in a company, the greater I was afraid of failing in the new role that I was. And he said, it's, it's sabotaged every good job I've, I've ever had. And so it was, it was interesting to, to, to think about it in, in new ways. Another distraction you cover is past mistakes. So could you give us a suggestion or some tips on how we can overcome sort of hanging out in the past and how that distracts us from what we're trying to do? I did a survey for the book and this was the most heartbreaking for me of all the survey results. Uh, 61% of people say they're held back from the future they want because of past mistakes they've committed in the past. 55% of people say they're held back from the future they want because of past mistakes committed against them. And um, mistakes, as I say in the book, sometimes doesn't do the evil justice that, that was done to us. Man, I was sitting in my office when the results came back and got to that one. And literally, I, I got emotional thinking about like how many of us feel like we can't live the life that we want or have the future that we want because of something we did in the past or something that someone did to us in the past. And that is just so much bottled up potential. It's probably the, the one chapter, most chapters in the book uh, could be a book by themselves, uh, but this is probably the one chapter that could be a whole bookshelf um, all by itself in uh, in a bookstore or in a library. You know, how do we overcome that regret and and how do we overcome past mistakes? The 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 call that I make in the book is that we have to face it. Like we can't keep running from it. Uh, we can't allow it to handicap our future. We can't just say it is what it is, and I can and I'm never going to overcome it. But uh, at some point, we need to we need to turn and face it. Uh, we need to turn and face the problem, knowing that we can't change the past, but we can we can learn from it. You know, our future might be different um, than what we thought it was going to be because of that mistake, but it doesn't have to keep us from the the, the future that is the most beneficial for us and for others. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I think it's important even in mindfulness to recognize that while the, the emphasis is staying focused on the present moment, if you haven't resolved whatever those past issues are, they're going to creep in anyway. So from a mindfulness perspective, it's the same. It's we need to deal with it in some way so that we can clear it out and really, you know, enjoy our lives and pursue our goals. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think this one may be surprising to people, 
But one of the distractions you cover in the book is happiness. And this, I have to tell you, is probably my favorite chapter in the book because you talk Mm. about being of service and that's really a driving force for me. Um, But can you share with our listeners how and why happiness becomes a distraction? You know, as I describe it in the book, it's it's about where we're pursuing happiness. We're all going to pursue happiness uh, one way or another, and and we're going to pursue self, just survival. Like it's pretty com- like both pursuits are common, uh, I think, to us as humans. The problem becomes when we conflate the two, and when we begin to look for the pursuit of happiness in the pursuit of self, and we think that they're the same. Uh, And when we start to think, hey, me getting everything I want is how I'm going to be the happiest in my life. When in reality, every, every study that's ever been done shows that people who help others, people who serve others, people who are generous with what they have, Uh, people who are passionate about solving a problem and and living for others. Every study shows that they get to the end of their lives and self-report feeling more fulfilled, uh, more satisfied, more happy, more joyful uh, than those who thought they were going to find happiness in just the pursuit of uh, acquiring things for themselves. Even in the giving of something, the giver has a, a stronger reaction even on fMRIs in the brain that light up the uh, pleasure uh, yep. areas of the brain because it, it is rewarding in addition to being, I think, something that we all need to do, but it's also yeah. rewarding to the self to yeah. give to others. So. Indeed. Indeed. And, and that's not to discount self-care. I mean, that's not to discount taking care of ourselves. For me, it's just what is the motivation um, like I care for myself so that I can help others is different than I just care for myself so I can help myself all the time. Uh, and those who who recognize self-care plays a role, um, but the role is, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup is the old saying. So I invest into myself so that I can be the best investment into others that I can as well. All right, the next one, money, money, money. (laughs) I just did a podcast on materialism. Um, How does money distract us from a meaningful life? So 80% of Americans say they will be happier if they have more money. And uh, 77% of Americans uh, say that their desire for money influences their decisions on an almost daily basis. It's Always been a pretty fascinating statistic to me, um, that survey result. Uh, the other one is the fact that 90% of Americans say that they have financial-related stress. And it is true that there are some people that don't have enough money, but it is not 90% of Americans. I mean, we're the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, statistically speaking. And to think that 90% of us are are worry are stressed about money when we have more money and more stuff than at any point in the history of humankind really just sends me into like why why is that the case and the realization to me is that we don't solve our desire for money by getting more money. 
Uh, 87% of millionaires uh, don't describe themselves as wealthy. Uh, Boston College did a study of the ultra-wealthy net worth of 78 million um, on average. And when they asked if they had enough money, the most popular answer was, no, I need 25% more. And at some point, we need to realize that it's not that we don't have enough money. It's just that we keep looking for money to bring us happiness and bring security. And it's never going to provide in enough amount uh, those things for us. And we have to look elsewhere. And when we can get to the point, I mean, just imagine if you can get to the point where you can say, hey, I have enough money coming in. I don't have to constantly need and want more and more and more. Like, just think how freeing that would be, uh, how much more you could focus your life on other things if you weren't constantly desiring more and more money. The old Bible verse is, uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And uh, I always say, uh, no one admits to loving money. Everybody just wants more of it. Uh, I think that it's more of a more of a trap than uh, than we think it is uh, in our lives. Yeah, I uh, I personally, when I was young, had that idea. You know, we just need to make more money, then we'll be happy. And over decades, we've had money, we've not had money, and I can tell you, when you have it, you still keep thinking, well, I just need a little more. I just need a little more. And when you don't have it, you figure out how you get by with less money. And of course, we're not talking about people at the poverty level. We're talking yep. about, like you said, the majority of Americans who probably do have enough money, but we're just conditioned to think that it's going to solve our problems. And it's not the answer. It's icing yeah. it to me on the cake. It's not, it's not going to make it life more meaningful necessarily. Although depending on what you do with the money, you could make maybe your life more meaningful by like you did starting a foundation or doing something like that. I don't think we talk enough about the negative drawbacks of having money we always think money only brings good into our lives, or we can, we can picture the negative temptations if I don't have any money. Um, but the reality is there are new temptations. There are new traps that come with having more money, arrogance, isolation, uh, lack of empathy, um, loneliness, like all these things come with, with wealth. And we... And yet, if you ask anybody if they want to be rich, they would all say yes. Um, and we we discount the negative nature of of wealth uh, in our lives. Um, and so I hope to draw a little attention to that in the book. Yeah. No, I thought you did a great job <clears throat> really explaining it and including, again, the, the scientific evidence of what happens the wealthier you get. So yeah, it, money is not good or bad. Like, as you mentioned, it's just basically what we do with it. Now, kind of in the same vein is possessions. And I cannot say I'm a minimalist. I know that you are. Um, but I will say, as I've grown more mindful, I can see a shift toward really changing my attitude about possessions. And so in this household now, it's I'm constantly looking, is that functional? Does that help me in some way? And if it doesn't, I can't even tell you how many truckloads over the past few years I have donated out because I don't want the stuff that's taking up my time or distracting me. Mm -hmm. um, and I also have a rule in this household that if something new is coming in, something has to go out so that I never accumulate too much stuff in here. But I want to know if you can explain to our listeners, like how in the world can stuff distract us from a meaningful life? You know, most people don't realize how much of a burden their possessions have become until we begin to remove them. 
Uh, we see 5,000 advertisements every single day. And every single advertisement tells us we'll be happier if we buy whatever they're selling. And even though none of us would ever say, I'm looking for happiness in the things that I buy, uh, most of us live like, like we are. We wish we had a bigger house. We wish we had a nicer car. We wish we had more clothes. We wish we had newer technology, this, or the newest fashions like this and that. And we're just constantly um, not just accumulating things that we don't need, but how much energy goes into pursuing those things that we don't need, uh, just things that we have to bring home and clean and organize and manage and, and maintain. And uh, so there's really like a, a two-prong distraction that, that possessions can become. When, when we own more than we need, uh, they steal time and energy just cleaning and organizing all the time. Um, and when we desire more than we need, um, really, I think, just keeps us from, from more meaningful pursuits. Yeah, it's time consuming. Why am I spending all these this time dusting frames or I don't know, knick-knacky things on a shelf? And yeah, so I've been on a massive clean out. Feels good. Feels it good, does doesn't it? Good. Yes. Feels I'm much good. happier. And I also can't stand not being able to find something. And I yep. don't have that problem now because the problem was too much stuff. So you know, so you have to dig through things. So I'm <laughs> totally on board. I'm not I'm not all the way. I think I'm probably gonna end up a minimalist at some point, but I think that's the direction I'm heading. You quote Jim Carrey as saying, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This is related to what you call the distraction of applause. So could you talk about that a little bit? Because in our times, this is a big one. Uh, it is, especially in a world where it seems like uh, ordinary people go viral uh, at, at any random notice and anybody can can become famous or anybody can become an influencer on, on social media and uh, certainly is an issue. Once I kind of overcame the desire for possessions and started rethinking about the role of money in my life, um, accolades and praise and uh, reputation became the, the next one that I could see tripping me up where, you know, sometimes the greatest good that we can bring into the world for the greatest number of people uh, isn't going to draw any attention and isn't going to draw any notoriety, isn't going to draw any praise. Uh, but when I live my life constantly needing praise, uh, constantly wanting to be noticed, then sometimes that keeps me from doing the thing that I'm I'm most equipped to do in the world. That's not to say, you know, there are, there are some professions, uh, there are some roles in the world. There are some personality types. There are some things of good that we can bring into the world that, that are going to require attention and are going to require being known. And there are some things that we can do and accomplish that will naturally result in praise and, and being acknowledged by other people. But when the goal becomes wanting to be noticed, uh, wanting to be praised, that this is when I think we uh, make sacrifices along the way that lead to regret at the end of life. It's amazing to me that we're replacing actual value or gratitude with what's happening online. So the followers or the thumbs up or, you know, whatever it is. And it's, to me, I don't know how you couldn't have regrets at some point because it, it doesn't feel like it's a substantial or long lasting sort of appreciation. It's in that instant, you've amused me or you've taught me something or whatever it is. And over years, I'm too new now, but I just think over years, we're going to see more detrimental effects on our psyches from this because you can't stay famous. You can't get a million, 
or whatever it is to go viral. I think whatever, but you know what I mean? Like on TikTok. So if you've gone viral and you've got millions of people watching, they're not going to watch 10 years from now, whatever you're doing. You know what I mean? It's just like a flash in the pan. I guess mm. it's kind of what I'm thinking. And it, it concerns me for people's mental health, not maybe now because they're completely enjoying that short-lived fame or whatever it is, but... I think what you'll find is that there are a lot of quick and easy ways to to go viral, to become famous right away and and get followed for a while. The the character traits that result in lasting influence probably haven't changed today than they did 50, 60, 100 years ago. Like there are still the just the the universal common traits of honesty and selflessness and integrity and and love you know like like those are the things that are going to sustain your influence and if you if you give those up for the quick flash in the pan notoriety then it's it's going to go as quickly as it came and you stated at the beginning we're not talking about someone who's doing something as part of their purpose or their vision or their mission and trying to do whatever the, the goal is versus somebody who is solely focused on what can I do right now to get more followers or be more liked or be more famous. So it's, it's got to do with, with really the reason you're doing what you're doing. If it happens and yep. you know, because it happens, that's not the same thing that we're talking about. So exactly. <laughs> Here's one that I was surprised by too. Um, it's the distraction of leisure. And I guess it surprised me because I, I am not a pursuer of leisure. I love my work, as you mentioned in the book, and I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of what I'm doing. And I start, I don't know, seeking leisure when I feel run down or tired as a way to recharge and so that I can go back to doing what I do. I didn't realize it was such a common notion that it's an objective, that there's a lot of people who that's the sole objective, get the job done so that you can do leisurely activities. So I'm wondering if you can share the two primary ways leisure becomes a distraction in our society. The whole notion that work is somehow become a four-letter word in, in America or, or just the idea that uh, retirement as the goal of work, uh, CNN had an article a couple of years ago that called Early Retirement the New American Dream. And I think when, when the goal of work becomes getting out of work as soon as I possibly can, then there's no joy and there's no meaning to be found in it because it's just the thing I'm trying to do so I can stop doing it. Meanwhile, you know, I think that there's a selfless way to to view work and and what we do. I mean, much of what I'm sure you've you just mentioned here and what you probably talk about before, but you know, the the greatest good that you can bring into the world is is going to require you to to work hard and embrace effort and not do it for selfish reasons. Um, I, I don't do my work well so that I can get rich. I don't do my work well so that I can buy the biggest house and eat at the fanciest restaurants, but I do my work well because in doing what I do well, I love other people. I serve other people. I free up other people so they can do what they do well, uh, which in turn benefits uh, all of society going forward. So. Really seeing work as as love, uh, I think, is far more fulfilling than it's just the the thing that I do for the paycheck. Exactly. And it's amazing to me. A lot of people have asked me over the years, well, when are you going to retire? Have you got any plans? And I'm, I don't have a retirement plan because I can't imagine what I would do all day. <laughs> now, that's not to say there's anything wrong with taking a vacation or taking a break. Or again, self-care is important. But I think it really does have to do with a shift in thinking because 
that age, 65 was the original age in the U.S. Okay, first of all, life expectancy is longer than that now. But secondly, why? Like, why wouldn't you want to keep being with people and, and doing what you love doing? And if you don't love it, I guess that is the problem. But I just heard yesterday the life expectancy was 64 when Social Security was first enacted. And it was, you know, just to take care of, you know, poverty really late in life. Like there's something to be said for transition. Like I can't, you know, I can't do construction when I'm 70 years old anymore. And, or I can't run the, at the same pace that I did when I was in my thirties and forties. But, sure. uh, but to think that I'm entirely going to stop helping and serving and working. Um, my grandpa always says the, the best fruit grows on the most mature trees. Uh, and I think just, you know, realizing that we still have a lot to offer. Yeah. And again, it doesn't have to be a paid job. It could be volunteering. Yep. It could be all kinds of things, but that chapter really opened my eyes because to think that you would only work for X number of years just so that you can stop working is so alien to me. But obviously a lot of people are doing that. And then I don't know what happens when they retire and they still live another 18 years or you know, whatever it is. And they don't have that purpose, I guess, anymore. So very interesting. Okay. I know we're, we're actually going to go a little over, but we've got to talk about technology because my listeners know not that I don't think technology isn't helpful. I use it every day, but most of the time I think it's a complete distraction from happiness, relationships, work, everything across the board. So talk to us about this one. And if you don't mind, maybe you could also include just a little bit about your idea about detoxing. I always think it's most helpful to think of technology creation versus consumption. Like I can use technology in a way that creates good. I can go on social media. I can, I can compliment people. I, I can, you know, raise awareness for issues that I'm passionate about solving. I can, I can bring about benefit, positivity into other people's lives, or I can just endlessly scroll and waste hours. I could go play another 10 levels of Candy Crush. I could go binge another season of something on Netflix and just let life pass me by rather than uh, taking the opportunity and using technology as a tool to bring about good in the world. And so I think that that's, that's how I've always tried to view it. Like there's nothing wrong with watching a television show or I sat down with my son last night and watched a basketball game. And like, there's, there's some benefit to that, but um, I think recognizing, okay, I'm just consuming or I'm wasting creation opportunity by, by just consuming. I've done it uh, yearly. I, I go on a, a tech fast anytime from uh, two weeks to 40 days was the most I've ever gone and just like separate myself entirely as best I can. If I'm working during the time that I'm still on email, I suppose during the day. But um, for 40 days, I used my phone just for phone and text. And I didn't even use the map feature when I was driving somewhere. I'd look it up and write it down, like just 40 days of nothing on my phone except for phone and text and just email once a day. And then the goal isn't that I never return to my phone, uh, but the goal is I can recognize how much time I wasted. I can even recognize, okay, the maps thing was actually pretty beneficial to me. Let's do that. The social media stuff and the games were just taking me away from my family rather than bringing benefit to my life. So, um, it's always been helpful to me. And uh, literally, I, I do it every year. I'll be doing it the first two weeks of August uh, this year. What's the difference for you after that detox? 
You know, it's always helpful during the time, you know, what you focus on in your life is what tends to grow. And so what you, you know, where you spend your time during that is always helpful. But for me, then it's always the re-entry, I think. I, you know, I never go back into scrolling as much as I did before. It's like, you know what, why would I do that? Oh, okay, it's it's a little helpful at times to check on things, but not as much as it was before. And then you just fall into bad habits and think you need to to refresh again, even as life changes, life season changes, and the role of technology in our lives should change as well. So at the end of the book, you talk about the challenges of breaking away from the herd by overcoming these common distractions. And you do point out there's other distractions, obviously, but these do seem like pretty common distractions for all of us. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for how someone can start shifting their life if they want to start small, if they don't want to feel overwhelmed, like maybe all of these things are distracting them. So what would you recommend to just maybe something to get started in addition to, of course, reading the book, but what would you suggest? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say if someone's listening, we just went through all eight. I would think if there were any one of them that that really stuck out to you, like when you were listening and you're like, that is a big one in my life. I've never considered before. I've never thought about it before. Um, I would, you know, put a pin on that and kind of think about it, uh, if it's fear or if it's regret or if it's money and just for the next week, kind of, kind of think about it and, and notice it. Oh man, here I am focusing on money. Uh, here I am trying to figure out this side hustle that can make more money or, ooh, I just, I think I was afraid to go talk to that person. That's that fear creeping up again. I, I would just open myself up to, to noticing it in your life uh, a little bit more and start to pick up how it might be distracting you more than, more than you thought. Well, that's a perfect answer on a mindfulness program. I was going to say, just <laughs> being a little bit more mindful of the, of the distraction and the topic. And then again, you don't have to change everything at once. The first step is being aware, in my opinion. The second step is what's one small thing you can do to start shifting it. And then you'll, you'll find it's, it's kind of like going on the detox from the technology. You think you can't do it. You can't go one day. And the longer you go, the more it's like, well, this is not that hard once you really start yeah. doing it. So, well, again, I really enjoyed the book and I really appreciate you joining us today to share all of this information and all of these tips and techniques. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you again to Joshua for joining us today and providing so much information on how to create a more meaningful life. You'll find a link to his book, Things That Matter, on our website at amindfulmoment.com, and you can see the entire interview on our YouTube channel at A Mindful Moment. To explore minimalism, visit Joshua's very popular website, at becomingminimalist.com. And don't forget to follow us to be entered into a drawing for a free copy of Things That Matter. Until next time, I encourage you to meditate daily and be mindful in all of your everyday activities. Simply bring your full awareness to the present moment to build your mindfulness skills, paying attention to every detail of what you're doing from washing dishes to work tasks to taking a walk. Your mind will wander, and that's normal. Each time you notice it has wandered, that's mindfulness. Consider how wonderful the world could be if everyone was mindful. You can help make that happen. It all starts with a mindful moment.
please subscribe to A Mindful Moment. And if you'd like to support us, we would deeply appreciate you visiting patreon.com slash a mindful moment. Follow us on social media at A Mindful Moment Podcast. Visit our website, amindfulmoment.com, to access podcasts, scripts, and book recommendations. A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Post-production and talent booking, Melissa Sims. Intro music, Retreat, by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll, by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.